Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and I can hear the sighs of relief all the way out in Dallas, Fort Worth. For that matter, I can hear the sighs of relief right here in Los Angeles based on the huge Cowboys crowd that packed SoFi Stadium on Monday night. The Dallas Cowboys eking out a 20 to 17 win out here on the West Coast on Monday night football. They beat the Los Angeles Chargers. And I just love it when a when a good plan comes together, when the wackiest, most chaotic game of the week delivers exactly that much madness. Let's start at the end where these things typically get decided. Strange game, weird game all the way through. There's a few big inflection points that I want to hit, but the end sequence really telling the story here. I thought... A phenomenal night from Dak Prescott, especially bouncing back from such an awful day in San Francisco the week before. Played a phenomenal game, but ironically, with a chance to really put himself in the best position, his maybe his lone miss of the entire night, a crucial third down, down near the red zone with just over two minutes to play. He misses Tony Pollard on what would have been a go-ahead touchdown. You feel a heck of a lot better leading 24-17 than 20-17 with Justin Herbert on the other sideline. But they settle for a field goal, one of Dak's few missed opportunities on a, on a fantastic night. And you're saying, oh boy, here we go. Somebody's getting their heart broken. And maybe predictably, it turns out to be the Los Angeles Chargers. So much of the story was about the Dallas offense on Monday night, but the Dallas defense rearing up its head saying, hey, forget about the 42 to 10 loss. We're still a formidable unit. Micah Parsons, he'd been active all night, but he hadn't gotten onto the stat sheet. Micah became Micah when it mattered most. If you're seeing the tweet on the screen, he sacks Justin Herbert on second down, his first sack of the night. Actually, the only Cowboys sack of the night, but I love this stat from Andrew Siciliano right after the game. He says, despite only one sack, the Cowboys' 47.6% pressure rate on Justin Herbert was the highest this season. You can't tell me that doesn't have an effect on what happens next. Right after Micah Parsons gets the sack, Herbert's feeling the pressure, third and 10 with the game on the line, and his pass to Quentin Johnston intercepted by Stephon Gilmore. He cuts under the route. Cowboys squeak out of here and into their bye week with a win, with a 4-2 and two record. Not the prettiest game, not a game that you're going to remember for discipline or maybe even the best decision making. But after the week the Cowboys have had, that's got to feel really good to get embarrassed 42 to 10 by the 49ers the week before. People like me are are down on you all week long talking about what that what's Dak Prescott's long term future. What's the outlook for this team? And this game doesn't accomplish the end goal, obviously, but it's got to feel a hell of a lot better than three and three heading into the bye week after starting the season three and one, a game that you feel like they needed to have. I understand it. The flip side is the chargers would feel awfully good coming out of their bye week with having gotten this win, 
But I, I after the week the Cowboys had, at least the Chargers got to have some R&R on their bye week last week. After the week the Cowboys have had a game that I, I, I just, like I said at the top of the show, I think you can hear the sighs of relief in that building and from all over the Cow- Cowboys fan base. Let's let's dive into this on a on a deeper level because it's it's not just about the last five minutes. This was this was a ridiculous game, and it had all of the hallmarks that we were looking forward to in this game. Right off the top of my head, I mean, you get some you get some classic Chargers fourth and inches, fourth and one to go situations. You could argue that the story of the second half was written by what the Chargers did and didn't do on fourth down, their first drive of the second half goes down to the Dallas seven yard line. They opt to go for it rather than kick a field goal that would tie it 10 to 10. Yes. You see the tweet from it's Matthew death taxes, Brandon Staley, not taking the points on fourth down. They don't get it. They get back down there. The next possession, they get all the way down to the Dallas six. They do take it. So we're just all over the board here as the chargers often are. And to truly cap this thing off, they do finally get a touchdown. Another fourth and goal situation. I actually applaud the bravery here from Brandon Staley and offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. They draw up the touchdown pass from Herbert to Gerald Everett. But it, it's always an adventure. And if if that wasn't enough, the way the Chargers get that ball is a, a sequence that only this game could deliver, which is where... Jalen Tolbert inadvertently touches a Chargers punt ahead of time, thinking it was muffed. Kevontae Turpin runs into a Chargers player on the punt return. Jalen Tolbert trying to make a heads-up play, trying to dive on the ball and keep possession. Only problem is it was never touched. Chargers get it. They go down and score a touchdown. I, 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 I think one of my Dallas people referred to it as a Leon Lett moment, if you remember the classic play against, I think it was Miami on Thanksgiving day where Leon let dives on a missed field goal, thinking he's doing the right thing. Not so much. Yeah. Only the Dallas Cowboys. What else happened? Oh, if, if fourth and short decisions are Brandon Staley's hallmark, how about a good old fashioned time management bungle by Mike McCarthy? It's a lot more fun to talk about coming out of a Dallas win, but Mike McCarthy, do you like scoring points? Do you do you know how to manage the end of a game? The sequence at the end of the first half, one of the more frustrating things I've seen this season, Dallas has a timeout in its back pocket. Yes, our, our friend of the show, Warren Sharp, talking about this. Eight seconds remaining, Dak Prescott checks it down to Tony Pollard toward the end of the first half. Cowboys with a tie, uh, timeout in their back pocket. Mike McCarthy just lets the clock run to three seconds. They could have called timeout with as many as eight remaining, and they they had two when they called that, so they would have had one more to go. So eight seconds with a timeout to spare, and you pay your quarterback, Dak Prescott, who was dealing, by the way, $40 million a year, and you settle for a field goal that puts you up 10-7 to seven heading into halftime. It doesn't come back to bite the Cowboys they did win the game by three points, so I can imagine somebody justifying the decision-making process that way. I think it's bad process. I think it's bad football. And I guess good on Mike McCarthy that he gets away with it. Speaking of bad process, 20 penalties in this game. Did I think all of them needed to happen? Did it seem like the refs maybe just wanted a little camera time? Absolutely. But 11 on the Cowboys, 9 on the Chargers. You're seeing... And not just run of the mill, you know, I'll, I'll even forgive the Chargers. They were their offensive line called six times in this game because it's really hard to deal with the Dallas pass rush. But hey, Cowboys, how in the NFL are we getting flagged once for 12 defenders on the field and then burning a second half timeout to avoid having it called on you the second time? That's what we're saying when we talk about this just being a game of pure chaos, a game of two teams that aren't quite capable of getting out of their own way. The Cowboys come out on top in the end. Justin Herbert is probably going to be dreaming of missed opportunities for at least the next week or so. In addition to the interception that seals the game for Dallas, two huge misses to Keenan Allen 
on on what looked like sluggos, slant and goes. Dallas secondary bites on the double moves. At least one of them is going for a long, long touchdown if Herbert doesn't miss him. A game of missed opportunities. I have a feeling he's going to be kicking himself over that. I did want to shout out Josh Palmer. Not a newcomer to the Chargers offense at all. Had 700 yards last year, but in a situation where this offense is looking for a number two now that Mike Williams is injured, he caught four passes for 60 yards. It felt like way more than that. I have a feeling they're going to want to continue to get him involved. Quentin Johnston, the first round pick, two targets, no catches. Love to see a little bit more there, but until then, at least you can fall back on Josh Palmer. Last thing we'll say, Dak Prescott deserves flowers for this. I don't know that this, that, no, I, I do know. This win does not change my opinion on the Cowboys' long-term outlook. This was a messy game. This is an undisciplined team. The Cowboys' play calling and offense still look really suspect. The Cowboys had their most explosive play of the season in this game, the 60-yarder to Tony Pollard. It's basically a broken play. Like Dak breaks right out of pressure, throws across his body to the middle of the field. It's a heads-up play, but it comes about from Tony Pollard spinning out of a tackle and just doing his thing from there. You're still lacking the designed elements of this offense, and basically you're saying, Dak, do something incredible on more often than not third down CD lamb, seven receptions for 117 yards. All of those going for first downs, Brandon cooks with the Cowboys finally remembered that they traded for the guy in the off season. He touches the ball five times for 50 yards and he gets his first career touchdown. So some semblance of some of this stuff working, but all that for, for 20 points. And again, your biggest gain of the night is, we'll call it, I guess, a broken play. There's there's still a lot of room to be desired, or a, loom, a lot to be desired, a lot of room for improvement. All of that said, I don't think you can say enough about the way Dak Prescott responded in a pressure situation. I'll include myself in this. Plenty of people asking questions about the big picture. Can Prescott get it done for the Cowboys? And even if this doesn't qualify as quote unquote, getting it done, this was all Dak with the exception of the assist at the end from Micah and Stefan Gilmore. This was Dak playing playground football and seeing what happened. He scrambled as much as we've seen him scramble in recent years Had an 18 yard touchdown run to open the scoring for the Cowboys. It's his longest ever touchdown run, which I didn't. I didn't think we would be seeing him set new career longs at 30 after some of the injuries that he's dealt with. He was sacked five times, plenty of offensive penalties, nothing in the way of a run game. They averaged less than four yards per carry and Dak was their leading rusher. With the exception of the miss to Pollard at the end, it felt like the entire offense was let's run twice, get into a, a nice little third and eight, by the way, I'm being sarcastic. That's terrible play calling and saying, Dak, please bail us out of this. And in this game, he did. I thought it was easily his best game of the season. And one of the more clutch performances we've seen from him, I think in the latter half of his career, maybe if we're not counting that phenomenal rookie season, which somehow was seven seasons ago. So big spot for him. He said on the broadcast after the game, this was a resilient performance from the Cowboys. I would agree with that. It's not one that inspires a ton of confidence that that all of this team's ills are fixed, but you'll take it. You'd rather be building on these things in the bye week, coming out of a win that gives you some cushion and helps you keep pace with teams like Philadelphia and San Francisco than in a loss. So kudos to you, Cowboys. We'll check in on you later. Chargers. It's a very, a very Chargers way to wrap this thing up, unfortunately. It does not get any easier with the Kansas City Chiefs on deck. But thank you both for really delivering the goods on a chaotic Monday night. Some really unfortunate news coming out during the Monday night broadcast, and it's that Colts quarterback Anthony Richardson, the rookie drafted number four overall, is probably done for the season, according to Colts owner Jim Irsay. That word coming out during the Cowboy Charger game. 
clears up at least some uncertainty about Richardson. He'd been placed on injured reserve with the sprain to his AC joint in his shoulder. Honestly, not much in the way of a timeline until Ursay says this on Monday night. It's just, it, it is a bummer of a blow uh, for a guy that had been one of the most electric players in the NFL so far this season. He'd only played 173 snaps because remember he'd had multiple other injury issues as well. And in that small sample size, already had seven total touchdowns on the season. If, if Ursay is correct that he is likely done for the year, just an unfortunate loss for the Colts, for Anthony himself, for people who like watching exciting football. It does lead to some interesting questions about where the Colts go from here. And coincidentally enough, we had already planned to check in on the AFC South. We talked to Fox Sports AFC South writer Ben Arthur Kind of a, a catch up on the entire division. Talked some Jags. Talked about C.J. Stroud on the Houston Texans. And yes, checked in on the injury situations to the quarterbacks with the Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. Check that out. All right, Ben, it's good to have you on, man. Let's let's jump right into the news of week seven. It, it sounds like the news about Trevor Lawrence's knee is encouraging in the long run. But does that change anything for the outlook for Thursday night football? That's that's an awfully quick turnaround for a guy with a bruised knee. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say right now, Dave. Uh, Doug Peterson spoke to local reporters today and, and, and he said day to day. And then someone followed up with saying, well, is he going to play Thursday? He again said kind of he said, quote, day to day. So uh Obviously, even if the Jags do have clarity from a competitive uh, advantage standpoint, they they probably don't want to say anything. But um, so so right now, yeah, it it doesn't look super serious after the game. He seemed to be moving fine. Uh, He he said he was feeling okay, And so just all the the signs, uh, what we've heard from Trevor, from Doug, even some of the early reports is that he's going to be fine. Uh, for the long term, what that means in a short week, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think just with the way the Jags are starting to play now, I mean, they're really starting. And I wrote about this yesterday that they're really starting to look like the contender that everyone hyped them to be. Like, like it was kind of a rough go uh, to start the year. Uh, one and two, uh, their offense was dreadful against the Chiefs. Uh, that they got blown out by the Texans at home, losing by 20 points. So, and then they go to London, uh, which in some ways has kind of been like a second home for them, right? That they get two straight right. wins, they beat the Bills, uh, they make that dynamic Bills offense look uh, relatively average, and then they come back home uh, and just bring it to the Colts. And so, I think from that vantage point, you want to see Trevor play and and see if they could string together four straight wins. And we know how big momentum is in the NFL. But uh, but as for Trevor Lawrence this week, it's hard to say. We're going to have to get into uh, the practice week. And there was actually a situation now that I'm talking. There was a situation last year where Trevor didn't like practice all week. C.J. Beathard, their backup, got all the reps, but. Uh, Trevor was still able to play that weekend. So um, so it could kind of be that same situation on a short week. He doesn't practice, but then he is ready to go game time. Let me ask you this, Ben, and, and it's a good point. I, I saw Doug Peterson say that as well, that, you know, maybe if even if he doesn't get all the first team reps in practice, plenty of opportunity that he could still play against the Saints. The Jags offense is going to get the headlines because of Trevor, because of Calvin Ridley and on and on and on. But their defense now leads the NFL in takeaways after a very, very productive day against Indianapolis. And I remember in the offseason, maybe, you know, I don't know if anybody was saying the Jags were a terrible defense, but this certainly wasn't hyped up to be one of the best units in the league. Is this all Josh Allen, or is there some real like long-term sustainability with the way they're getting after the ball? Yeah, Dave, I, I think there is some long-term uh, sustainability. Uh, they are returning. Well, Devon Hamilton, one of their top defensive linemen, is on PUP right now. Uh, but even without him, that they're returning nine starters from last year. They're in the second year of Mike Caldwell's scheme. 
Uh, and, and so th there's a lot of continuity. These guys know how to play with each other. They're playing fast. The chemistry is there. And, and we're starting to see that reap uh, rewards. I mean, as you said, Josh Allen has been fantastic. Uh, seven sacks in six games. He actually leads the NFL in pressures. But their secondary has been elite. Andre Sisco and Rayshon Jenkins, I think at a national level, they're not getting enough national love for, for what kind of they've been doing in the, in the back end. Uh, Cisco is actually tied for, for the NFL high with, with three picks. Uh, actually one of the guys he's tied with is Darius Williams. Who's another one of uh, the Jags DBs uh, playing corner. Uh, so, so they've been really good in the back end. Tyson Campbell has kind of been their number one guy too. Uh, and they just don't let a lot of things get over the top. Uh, and, and then I think the big thing, this might actually be the be thing they're best at is their run defense. They they really don't let, uh, don't really give any room for success in, in the trenches. We saw what they did to the Colts uh, yesterday uh, in, in just completely erasing the, the Colts run game, which is their strength. And especially without Anthony Richardson, you have a guy in Gardner Minshew who's going to need to rely on that run game. And they, they just were not able to run the ball just because of uh, that front that they have. Uh, and so, so, so yeah, this, I, I don't think this is a fluke. Uh, I have been su surprised with kind of how this has been the unit leading the team when everyone was talking about how it was going to be the right. offense, but uh but yeah, this is a defense playing at a, at a really high level. And you think that the offense hasn't fully clicked yet. I mean, they, they've scored over 30 plus two times. But when 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 you when we start thinking about, OK, if the Jags offense like actually plays their potential from start to finish with the way this defense is playing, I mean, this could be a team. Uh, I don't want to say that they're one of the two, maybe two best two best teams in the AFC, but but they, they could be and the Super Bowl mix come like December, January in terms of how they look just because of how the defense is playing right now. You don't have to say it, but we're both thinking it. We can both just sort of like put a pin in that, which I want to go back to something you mentioned. The Jags are, they definitely haven't clicked to their fullest potential, but still starting to look like a very strong team, which makes it all the more crazy Houston didn't just beat them in week three. They they beat them down. I mean, they they put almost 40 on them. They beat them by 20 points. And, and obviously, we've talked so much about C.J. Stroud, and rightfully so. But with the Texans sitting at 500 entering their bye week and C.J. Stroud looking like a, a beast, have your expectations for them changed considerably or, or, or is this just going to be a feel-good story all year or should we start thinking harder about the Texans as a team that's in the mix look I think that, well to, to answer your first question yes my expectations have changed dramatically because CJ Stroud has come in and basically immediately looked like a, a franchise quarterback I mean the throws he's making I mean he he might have the most he has one of the most beautiful balls in the league already I mean the anticipation he's thrown with the quick processing he doesn't make a lot of mistakes he had his first pick uh yesterday uh, just speaking to the efficiency at which he's playing with I mean he's everyone was talking about how bad this wide receiver room was going to be especially with uh, trading a guy that that you're familiar with in Brandon Cooks, who, who's now with, with the Cowboys. Sure. Uh, people weren't very excited uh, about this group, uh, to say the least. And, and I think that they've been better than expected, but I think CJ has been able to elevate them. Uh, they're getting their offensive line healthy. Titus Howard, uh, Laramie Tunsil, they've been playing now. And so I, I, I think, and the defense, I have to give credit to the defense, what D'Amico Ryans has been able to do uh, with that unit, uh, getting them to play at a high level. Um, and, and so I, I think that the we do have to change the expectation because of how good C.J. Stroud has been so early. Um, personally, I, I don't, Right now, I just don't see them actually being like a, a playoff threat just because they don't really have a run game. And mm -hmm. and we know how it is, right? Late in the season when you can't throw the ball. It's true. And, uh, 
you know, you have to be able to wear teams down in the trenches. And, and, and it's interesting because everyone thought it was going to be the run game that was going to carry this offense, especially with kind of easing CJ Stroud in uh, you have a guy in uh, Damian Pierce who, who played so well uh, as a rookie, but it's been really tough sledding. Uh, I think early on you, you kind of pointed to uh, the O-line just being so banged up. I mean, they were on their third string guy at multiple spots, but they've gotten healthier and, and the run game still isn't quite consistent. Uh, they, they've had in their six games, they've only in, in four of their six games, they've had less than 90 rushing yards as a team. And so they're just not so, – so if C.J. Stroud isn't kind of doing his thing, wheeling and dealing in the pass game, uh, they are limited. And so that's the only reason why I'm kind of tempering uh, kind of my expectations. Uh, again, they are – I think that it's obvious they're exceeding everyone's expectations. They're a lot better than everyone thought they'd be. They've already matched their total for the entirety – of last year, they went three thirteen and one. They're they're they've already won three games this year, so they're definitely ahead of schedule in terms of the rebuild. But but in terms of actually being like a threat, um, you know, to potentially push for a playoff spot to maybe push Jacksonville and the AFC South, I just don't see it right now. Which and that's completely fair and realistic. And look, I I will officially apologize to the Texans because I. I went into the season just expecting to start paying attention to them in 2024. Uh, yeah. I just, I didn't see a significant jump up right away. And clearly, regardless of what the final record is, clearly that was premature on my part. So, hey, even if the playoffs are another year or so away, it, it's hard to imagine messing up the vibes uh, that are going on in Houston right now. Unfortunately, the vibe's not very good <laughs> in the rest of the AFC South right now, predominantly uh, not just the win-loss record, but also the quarterback situations. Ryan Tannehill now with an ankle injury in Tennessee, and that's a week after the latest injury to Anthony Richardson puts him on IR. I'm curious, two very different situations here. I'm curious for your thoughts on what we might see from a quarterback perspective moving forward. If Ryan Tannehill's forced to miss time after the bye week, Tennessee's got a choice to make between Malik Willis and Will Levis. And then it's not, there's not really much of a choice for Indianapolis, but I assume the Colts yeah. are still holding on to hope that Anthony Richardson can come back at some point, at some point this season. Yeah. I think with Tennessee, as you said, like with, with, like if Ryan Tannehill has to be out an extended period of time, I mean, you have to see what you have in Will Levis, right? Like you took him at the top of the second round, you gave up draft capital to get him. Uh, he, he had first round value. Like I remember Rand Carthon, the Titans GM, he acknowledged that if Peter Skronsky wasn't there at 11, Levis would have been in consideration at that pick. And so you know, he he's your third string quarterback right now. He hasn't been active in a game. We haven't seen him since what the, the preseason opener, uh, because he got he got hurt in joint practices with the Vikings. Uh and so he needs to play, right? You you need to see what what you have him have in him, uh, you know, kind of moving forward. And and I think at this point, I mean, I'm not ready to kind of you know, say like Malik Willis can't be, you know, a good quarterback in this league, but uh, you know, he, he did have another opportunity uh, this past week to play the entire, you know, basically the entire fourth quarter uh, of a game that was still within reach. And, and I saw a lot of the same issues we saw last year. I mean, there was some good, but then there was a lot of bad. There was kind of holding the ball too long, uh, maybe not, uh, making quick enough decisions, uh, not throwing the ball away when he needed to, taking sacks when they didn't have any timeouts under two minutes. I mean, uh, and so he, he has shown a lot of strides. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, again, to, to Levis, I, I mean, he's your second round rookie. Uh, you know, we've seen what Stroud has been able to do and, and Richardson when he's been healthy. And what we, I mean, the Panthers have kind of their own issue, right? issues right with uh with Bryce Panthers Young. have quite a few issues yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah just a few 
Uh, but Will Levis was the fourth best guy, right? And and you have him on your team. He's not really getting any looks. Uh, and and I think you really just have to see what you have. Uh, Vrabel did say, though, that if Tannehill is healthy, he's still the quarterback, uh, which doesn't really surprise me because, I mean, the, the Titans aren't going to punt on this season at this point as much as a lot of fans in Nashville uh, want to think that way. Uh, to just to kind of roll the dice with Levis and just look to 2024 and beyond. I don't think the Titans are at that point, but, but yeah, I think Levis needs to play. Um, as far as Indy goes, I think this, uh, the, the Jags game kind of brought the whole, that whole fan base back to reality. There was kind of a narrative that this version of the Colts might actually be better uh, with Gardner Minshew. Uh, just with you have a defensive front mm-hmm. playing well, you have a a really good run game. Zach Moss has been one of the top backs in the league early in the season. You have uh, Jonathan Taylor getting back in the fold. Uh, you just kind of need uh, Gardner Minshew to like not make mistakes and and dink and dunk or or whatever. Uh, but his limitations were really exposed by the Jags, as I was kind of saying earlier. Uh, the Jags did not give up the run like they, the the way that they were in base defense basically the entire game even when the the Colts had three four wide receivers out there uh the the Jags still stayed in that base front like they were not going to give up the run because they know how that kind of opens up everything uh and, and then so they're kind of daring Minshew to throw the ball deep and and historically he has not been able to throw the ball deep he's been a kind of a short to medium air yards kind of guy and uh and they were able to get some pressure on him and he obviously doesn't have the mobility that anthony richard richardson has so you can't you're really limited offensively and i think again that was kind of a kind of a back to earth moment for the colts and what they're how good they can actually be i think this jaguars game was a clear kind of example of kind of just why they need him uh so much but then at the same time they're not going to rush him back because we we know the Colts histories with quarterbacks we saw what happened with Andrew Luck and 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 situations like that and and so they have to make sure he's fully right before they put him back out there um so the funny thing the funny thing about Gardner Minshew is I I see the logic that an accomplished veteran can help you do that. I mean, there was a similar thought process when Minshew was the backup in Philadelphia last year, but it was just a picture perfect reminder. I think Gardner Minshew can give you stretches of good play, but I think every three to five weeks you are due for a performance like that. I mean, that is kind of Gardner Minshew's um, track record at this point, and I think it's pretty well established. So purely purely from an evaluation standpoint i i hope anthony richardson is back sooner rather than later i'm i'm with you as far as tennessee goes i think another point that i think is worth making is it's not fair to malik willis but ran carthon did not draft him exactly. um so mm-hmm. I, I i i i agree with you i i don't think it's in mike vrabel's dna to give up on a season before halloween but if things keep trending the way that they are I do I do hope that they're smart enough to evaluate a guy that they liked enough to draft in the top 40. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Definitely. And and I think with the Titans situation too, they're in a really tricky spot because, you know, as we've said, like Mike Vrabel isn't the type to put on a season, but we have the trade deadline coming up. They don't have a lot of draft capital uh, for 2024. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think they only have uh, five picks uh, or so, um, uh, not a lot of valuable picks. I think only one in the top uh, three rounds. Uh, so so it, it doesn't look great. And, and you think about just where this season is going. Uh, they don't really have an identity right now. You have some valuable veterans who you could potentially offload for picks to kind of rechart, you know, to, to, to kind of start, uh, you know, thinking about 2024 20, and beyond to make sure you're in a position for success, because if you kind of 
roll it out as is with this team, a team that doesn't look like they're really going to compete anyways. Uh, and then you get to a situation in 2024 where you don't really have the assets or, or the resources to be able to to build uh, off of uh, kind of some of those young pieces that they have. I mean, that's a an even tougher pill to swallow. So I, that's going to be under consideration as well over the next couple of weeks. I mean, we have just two weeks until the deadline. So that is, yeah, I think the the rest of October will be interesting. This has been a surprisingly muddy division through the first six weeks of the season. But I think uh, next time we check in with you, I'm not going to be surprised if it's cleared up a little bit. But Ben, Arthur, thank you so much, my man. We appreciate the time. Of course, Dave. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. AFC South's not the only division I wanted to catch up on today. I also want to check in on the AFC East where drama abounds. So I'm joined now by my buddy, Fox Sports' AFC East writer, Henry McKenna. Henry, it's been an epic week in the AFC East. There is another one on deck in week seven. Lots of storylines around all four teams, but I do think we'd be remiss if we didn't start with the New York Jets. Just the you know, the upset of the week beating Philadelphia on Sunday, continuing to play inspiring football. And, and, and I would ask you if this is sustainable, that seems like the natural question, but this is already the third time in a row they've done it. So I assume it is sustainable. The question I want to ask you is, are you starting to believe that maybe the jet ceiling is higher than we thought? Uh, I do think it's pretty sustainable. I think that, that they are, but, that, but remember sustainable is three and three, right? Like we're not talking about, uh, suddenly them taking fire. And so I think this sort of mediocrity, I want to say, but that's sort of unfair to them because they, they're sort of like hot and cold, right? They, they, they can take fire and they, and they can upset a team like Philly or compete against a team like the chiefs, but then they can come out completely flat against a team like the Patriots, uh, who are we are quickly seeing, and we'll talk more about, I'm sure, uh, being one of the worst teams in the league. So is that sustainable? Absolutely. Is the ceiling higher than we think? I don't think so. I, I like I, I, I am probably going to get – maybe this will come back to bite me, but I, I am a deep skeptic of how they've built this team uh, in the wake of Aaron Rodgers' injury because obviously this isn't how they built the team. But – it's the same script as we saw last year. And guess what? We saw the Jets miss the playoffs last year. No matter how pesky and how intense and crazy this defense plays, um, they ultimately aren't good enough to overcome what they've got at quarterback, which is Zach Wilson. He is their ceiling. And I just don't think that even if he's getting better, which maybe he is, that 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 alone, that's their impediment to being serious even playoff contenders, let alone anything more than that. It is kind of, it's it's heartbreaking in a way to see what they're capable of and knowing that they could be doing it with a much better quarterback. I, I'm curious. I, I mean, look, let's, let's not act like Zach Wilson is going to make the Pro Bowl. I think I said that on the recap show. But I do wonder... If you can get this level of play out of him consistently, and that is that is still a big question. And to your point, even with him playing pretty well against the Chiefs, they still lose that game. So, so far, we've seen them come up with a, a fairly miraculous win against Philly and a win against a very awful Denver team. But if he can do it consistently, basically, if the Jets just beat the bad teams on their schedule and maybe steal a, Jet, a, a Bills or a Dolphins game... I'm at least willing to entertain the idea that, you know, maybe this could be a six or seven seed in the playoffs, even if that does seem kind of far-fetched here in October. Yeah. Uh, it feels far-fetched in the AFC. You look at, you look at the teams that are, there's a 
a really good group. I mean, the Cleveland Browns are way better than we thought. The Bengals are still good, even though we kind of thought that they weren't going to be good. The Ravens are good. I mean, that whole sort of like what we consider the middle class of the AFC is actually like kind of substantial. Uh, like it, they they are all good teams. So um, I kind of see the Jets right at the bottom of that group. And I don't – so far we haven't seen them take care of teams that they should take care of, right? Like that's that's really how you're going to make the playoffs in this group, and that's by beating bad teams, i.e. the Patriots. Um, the Cowboys loss looks a little bit more excusable, and I think that's kind of the worst-case scenario for this team where their defense can't catch fire and simultaneously their offense is playing poorly and it compounds, right, because – the more pressure you put on Zach Wilson, the more likely he is to make mistakes. And then, you know, the defense can't play sort of like, you know, hot. You know, they can't play aggressive. They probably still will because it's Robert Sala and and Jeff Ulbrich. Those are two super aggressive, you know, defensive brains. But um, I think, you know, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on the skeptical side of it. I, you know, I like. I like that you, you you are making me look bad for Jets fans, but <laughs> no, no, no. And you know what, Henry, I, I appreciate that you are a man of conviction because it is it's it's easy to fall victim to the swings of the season. And and look, it's a highly emotional win. I said this on I said this yesterday. You know, I think maybe you get a little bit carried away on Robert Sala's part saying that you embarrassed every quarterback that you played. I mean, we're we're three and three, guys. We're three and three. Let's let's capture the good vibes and and they get to enjoy it for a week or so with a bye week. Um, I I, I don't know. I I don't think you're I don't think you're wrong for that. I think there's more that we need to see from this Jets team before we're buying it. I guess. My my point is that maybe now you can at least see a path. You can see a path to a playoff berth. Uh, but I do think yeah. when you look around in this landscape of, of AFC juggernauts, I do ultimately think you need really, really good quarterback play uh, to come out of it. And all due respect to Zach Wilson, I'm still not sure the Jets are there. So I, I kind of appreciate you talking me back into a more uh, – a more sensible middle ground. And if, if the jets keep winning, we can revisit it. Then let's move on to a team that, that got the win on Sunday, but Oh my goodness. Was it um, about as unimpressive as you can imagine? And it, it actually plays in well together. Cause I mentioned week seven, very interesting. The Buffalo bills lose to the Jags in London about as sloppy, uh, forgettable of a win as you could ask for against the New York giants. But this does look like a big-time opportunity at a get-right game against New England this week. Are you concerned about what you're seeing from the Bills' offense right now? Speaking of teams that are struggling to beat their 2022 script, um, the Bills are kind of one of them. They are uh, – I was looking at Next Gen Stats does an awesome job with uh, – charting players and Stefan Diggs ran like it looked like if you google like what is a receiver's route tree like if you just kind of like compiled everything that Stefan Diggs on did on Sunday it would look like the entire route tree like he generated <laughs> yardage from every single type of route that a receiver can run he lined up you know again the cliche you know he lines up all over the field he actually did line up like all over the field it was incredible um he can't keep doing that. I think <laughs> like this, this offense looks like, like, you know, they did last year, which is Stefan Diggs is in charge of carrying the whole thing. And like, that isn't to discount Josh Allen, who is, you know, top three quarterback, maybe top two quarterback right now in the NFL. But it's just to say that his only option really has been Stefan Diggs. And, um, the the Bills need to figure out how to keep checks on how much they're using their run game, which is actually good this year as opposed to last year. So that's where things are a little bit different. They need to figure out how to make Gabe Davis more of a consistency player rather than a flash in the pan player. Uh, they need to figure out how to get their rookie, their first round rookie, Dalton Kincaid, uh, more 
targeted because I think they're doing an okay job using him as a nice outlet receiver and he wasn't available this week. I think that that his role feels very small in the offense, but it's actually, I think, pretty valuable even already. It doesn't look like much because it's like five catches for, you know, 35 yards or, or even less. Um, but they're these little outlet plays that prevent from sacks. Uh, they keep they keep the Bills offense on schedule. So it's a little bit weird in Buffalo. Uh, and it's kind of the same old, same old, which is that when the Bills get too reliant on Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen to win them the game, it works like 75 to 80 percent of the time. But it's just inconsistent enough to be exasperating for Buffalo fans, because especially when it gets to the postseason, that's exactly what teams, you know, key in on is Stefan yep. Diggs, and then they struggle to, to win in the postseason. So um, I'm not going to go catastrophic with this offense because, you know, they're extremely good and productive and they have Josh Allen. But it is like a question of, is this the, you know, is this the version of madness doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? It is really remarkable. You, I mean, you can't, you can't say the Bills aren't trying. Like they're trying to take things off of Stefan Diggs's plate, whether that's drafting Dalton Kincaid, whether that's getting James Cook, which you're right, the running game is better, but it's still not what they do best. Uh, Gabe Davis, ever since that playoff game, just waiting on him to be a guy that you can count on consistently. Uh, you know, Josh and Dawson Knox famously can't connect there on that third down late in the fourth quarter. That would have saved them a hell of a lot of, of drama at the end of that game. It, it it has to be frustrating, but at the same time, I just you get so enchanted by what the ceiling is. And kind of like I hinted at, um, you get to play a Patriots team that is really, really short on answers. If they can't find a way to impress in this game, and I, I know they just struggled with the Giants, even still, I think with with a chance to really humiliate a, a team that has caused you so much emotional stress, uh, I think the I, I trust the Bills to take advantage of it, and I'll I'll be more worried next week if they can't do it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think I'm I'm sort of like harping on some points that I've been thinking about a lot over the last, I guess, 14 months, but I'm with you right there in terms of this week, this is going to be uh, a pretty handy win for the bills. Um, I think they're, I can't remember if they're laying eight and a half or nine and a half on the spread already, but they're opening major favorites on the road in Foxborough. Um, and Bill Belichick just does not have, his fastball, his curveball, his knuckleball. He has absolutely no pitches in his arsenal that is, is getting this defense. Uh, and that's in part because the personnel that he's got, you know, is injury-ridden. Matthew Judon, uh, the top sacker for their team. And really, I mean, the, the defensive centerpiece is hurt. And then Christian Gonzalez, who I think they they really built their defensive scheme around him being a lockdown number one corner, which is abnormal for new england to trust a rookie to be such a big part of their game plan but that is a testament to how good he is and how how good he was when he was healthy so tough tough uh situation for the patriots from a personnel standpoint honestly the one thing that we thought that we could count on you know in 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 the nfl in general i would i would get i guess is belichick right uh and even he is is not meeting the expectations of, of what we know about him. That's, I mean, look, it's, I, I just talked about not falling victim to the moment and teams get hot teams, get cold. You have winning streaks and losing streaks. I'm not trying to suggest that the Patriots win another game, but this touches on the point you just made Henry, which is that I just, I don't see what the Patriots lean on to help themselves get out of this. I mean, Matthew Judon, Christian Gonzalez, not there. We've got six weeks of data about this offense. I don't, I don't see the piece there that you lean on. If you've got an answer, I'd love to hear it. I don't blame you if you don't. I do. I don't, I don't see much upon which Bill Belichick can build. And, and I think, I mean, honestly, if anyone could see it, it would be Bill, right? Uh, we, we, uh, I, I, their drafts have come up short 
their free agency uh, signings have come up short. It's not like they have tried everything because I think Belichick has propensity to lean on experienced players rather than let younger players learn on the job, um, which I know kind of count, goes against everything I just said about Christian Gonzalez. But again, emphasizes his his value and, and how quickly he impressed this coaching staff. So maybe, maybe that means going a little bit harder into um, younger players, into recent draft classes to try and see if maybe there are guys who will step up in a game environment in a, in a way that they haven't necessarily seen in practice. But even there, I mean, like a guy like Demario Douglas, he was a receiver. He got all the hype in the world during training camp. I witnessed it firsthand. I mean, I, I was a part of people who were hyping him up, but the second he gets actually into game setting, like he's a guy who plays well in practice. He's like running into Devonte Parker and blowing around and, fumbling the football and in the red area. So yeah, I mean, it, it is, the, the answers are not good. I mean, Belichick said at the end of last week, you know, in a post game press conference, he said that we're going to start over. Right. And I was like, okay, I mean, that's not going to go well, but like, good, good luck. Maybe that, maybe we'll actually see something a little different this week. We didn't see anything different. I mean, their version of starting over was kind of like, oh, we're just going to do it. You know, or maybe maybe they practiced fundamentals or something during the week, but everything fundamentally was the same. So this Patriots team is going to be bad. They're going to be bad all season long. And they, uh, you know, I wrote a column last week, you know, nobody can, Belichick can't blame anyone but himself. I, I hate to say it, but I think you're right. And I, I've, I'm, I'm so reluctant to criticize the guy because of what he's done. But yeah, it's uh, it's hard to see the light at any kind of tunnel. Let's wrap this up with, which I, I'm sorry, Dolphins fans, you're in first place. You you probably should have gone first. It's just not the way it worked here. But look, incredibly, incredibly impressive. Back-to-back, just easy wins. You're not supposed to be able to run up the score on teams the way the Dolphins are doing this year. But I am, I'm curious. Look, I think they're good. I picked them to go to the Super Bowl, so I hope I don't sound like I'm disrespecting the Dolphins. But another big, big opportunity against the NFL's elite this week. They get Philadelphia on Sunday night football. It's in Philly, so this is this is another road trip to play a heavyweight. The last one, as good as the Dolphins are, the last one did not go so well against Buffalo. They lose by 28. I'm curious to see how they respond. If you're looking for something that went wrong against Buffalo. And, and if they have to get it corrected, I mean, I'm unfortunately I'm thinking about uh cater Kehu and his problems with Stefan Diggs. is, I mean, is that something they can correct going against an offense like this? Do you worry about history potentially repeating itself? Yeah. The, the thing that remains the dolphins biggest problem is their secondary, the correction currently is getting healthier uh, at the cornerback position and getting more out of their defensive ends um, who also are not super healthy. So that is actually a crazy thing about this Dolphins team is that they have more upside. Like there's more, there's more to go. They expect Jalen Ramsey to uh, come back. I think this season so if that guy comes back into the mix, it's big. Cam Smith is a, a rookie. He's a second-round pick. Um, he seems like he's working his way into the mix. So this group, Nick Needham is another name. He, he's their nickelback, and he started on IR, another guy who's going to come back in. So that's potentially, you know, four or three. I, can, I swear I can count. Uh, top cornerbacks to, to rearrange sort of the complexion and join Xavier Howard, who is the fourth. Uh, my to- that Tom Brady meme, like how many downs are there? <laughs> uh, um, so I think that's, cr- I mean, it's crazy to think about that. And Jalen Phillips getting healthier. Bradley Chubb's playing pretty well. Uh, but imagine what he can do with a better secondary and uh, a second pass rusher on the other side. I think that the it's saying all of that, I don't know how much it will change this week when they go against the Eagles um, because of, of the injuries not healing, you know, over the course of this week, I think a lot of the injuries are still kind of like, or it's a waiting game for Miami. Right. So, right, 
as for so it is you know it's it's both a good test for the Eagles and the Dolphins but also to the plus side for Miami kind of circling getting healthy weirdly because you're not expecting get healthier on the season but getting healthier and then the Dolphins play the Bills again in week 18. I mean, how crazy could that game be, right? If, if they're a little bit healthier in the secondary and you, you kind of can envision Josh Allen not being able as dominant. Um, and then we'll see about how healthy the offense in Miami can stay, help, uh, how healthy they can stay. So, uh, you know, it that's one team that I like. It sounds crazy, but I wonder if we've seen their ceiling and as good as they're playing. Like it, it's weird to think that the Jets are at three three. We're like, man, I don't think they could get better. But the Dolphins, <laughs> top of the top of the league, they can get better. Setting NFL records left and right for production, and still room to get better. Which I think you're you're absolutely right. It's a big opportunity for them, but yeah, man, I I think the sky's the limit for these guys moving forward. Um, I can't wait to see how they respond in this moment. But yeah, to your point, I can't wait to see. Sounds like Jalen Ramsey's practice window is is opening. So uh, no idea when he'll be back. But when you think of of the talented guys that that haven't played a big role so far this season, and the guys they'll eventually get back, I don't think we even brought up the fact that Devon Achan is expected back as well. Like scary, scary team. Regardless of what happens against Philadelphia, Henry. Uh, I have a feeling you'll be back. This is shaping up to be one of the most dramatic and interesting divisions in the NFL. We appreciate the time, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, it's the end of the show. You know what that means. All the week six games have been played. So it is, in fact, power rankings time for week seven. Let's break it down and see just how good and just how bad we feel about the league right now. I do, I'm going to start a little bit higher than usual. I think... All of the teams down at the bottom are are starting to feel awfully familiar. We we know who who's fighting for for thirty second overall. I'm going to start with a, a different team. Team we've already mentioned. It's the Indianapolis Colts at number twenty four. They're down four spots after a bad loss to Jacksonville. I just I think this is a fitting time to bring them up. Unfortunately, if we're not going to see Anthony Richardson again this season, I just. I don't know how high their ceiling is. Gardner Minshew is a good enough backup to win with, but he showed you against Jacksonville. He's he's good for a game like that every two to four weeks where the turnovers come in bunches and his confidence, I think, gets the best of him. Unfortunately, without Anthony Richardson, I'm, I'm not saying the Colts aren't going to win another game. I just don't know how much higher we need to have them in a ranking like this. I'm sorry if that's a hard reality to hear, Colts fans, but that's just how I feel having watched this team without Richardson a few times at this point. Jumping up a little bit, number 21 overall. Maybe they should be higher, up four spots, the New York Jets. Maybe they could be higher, but I think for the most part, the teams in front of them either have a better record or have shown more potential on offense. We talked about this with Henry earlier in the show at the end of the day, you're, you're only getting so much from the jets offense and the defense is incredible and they can turn in performances like what we saw against Philadelphia. But we do know at the end of the day, it's an offense oriented league. It's a quarterback driven league. I think you need a lot of things to go right to consistently win the way the jets do. So I've got them at 21. I'm not opposed to moving them higher. They're going to have plenty more, opportunities to show their stuff. But I do think when you're limited on offense, it caps your ceiling a little bit. I can't wait to see Robert Sala prove me wrong about that. Let's take it. Moving into the middle class, the Cincinnati Bengals up three spots to number 13. And it, you know, I, it, it wasn't the offense this week. Maybe I sound hypocritical, but we know what that offense can do. We saw what that offense did the week before. Jamar Chase still had a really fantastic game against Seattle. But the Bengals defense, Lou Anarumo and company, really coming through in the clutch, getting the better of Geno Smith when it mattered, which is down in the red zone. We mentioned it. The Seahawks started the day with a touchdown in the red zone and never matched that again the rest of the way. 
Eventually, the Bengals are going to play a game where both sides click. So I, I've got them right on the fringe of the playoff picture. Not ready to elevate them up to contender status just yet, but they are rounding into form as the Bengals that we remember. Eventually, I think they're going to play a game where both sides of the ball are complimenting each other, and that should be a lot of fun. They're in-state neighbors, their division rivals, the Cleveland Browns up at 11. They are up two spots. Maybe they should have jumped higher. I get it. They, they, they knocked off the 49ers. It was amazing. I think being on the fringe of the top 10 is a hell of an accomplishment for a Cleveland team that is three and two. I, I think that's a perfectly fine place to be. One of the losses, but really both of the losses, pretty inexplicable. You're put in a bad situation by a rookie quarterback against Baltimore. Bad, bad turnover luck dooms you against Pittsburgh. I think this is a fine spot to be until we see more from the Cleveland offense in the quarterback position. Deshaun Watson's been out. Awesome performance from PJ Walker, or maybe awesome was overstating it. A good enough performance from PJ Walker to beat San Francisco. But just like the Jets, you got to see more from the quarterback position on a regular basis before I'm, I'm vaulting you into the NFL's elite. But the defense is incredible. I think we can, after Sunday, we can firmly say this is the best defense in the NFL. They're going to have them in every game. If you can get some form of more consistent offensive play, the Browns are low-key a team to to fear, a team that could really put it all together if somebody that plays quarterback, whether it's Deshaun Watson or otherwise, can put it all together. So I think hovering nicely outside the top 10 is not a bad spot to be in week seven. Let's jump up to the tippy top. Now, this is a team. I'm ready to talk about the new, the Detroit Lions as a contender. I've got them at number five. They're up two spots. I jumped them over the Bills, even though the Bills didn't lose. You played to the last snap of the game against the Giants in that ugly fashion. I'm fine moving the Lions past you. The Lions have been so impressive for a month now. Their only losses in overtime. They beat the Chiefs on the road. The defense is dominant. Been holding people to field goals. Winning every game by 14 points. I said on the show yesterday, Jared Goff is playing the best football of any quarterback in the NFC right now. Certainly on the short list. I just, I think they're a complete team. And on top of that, they play in a very winnable division and roll your eyes if you want to, but that type of stuff matters. I don't think the Lions are going away and I think they've got a great chance in that division to stack a lot of wins, maybe even contend for the bye. Obviously, that is, that's going to be easier said than done with teams like Philadelphia and San Francisco right there as well. But I like this Lions team a lot, and I am ready to take them really seriously. Let's wrap it up. The number one team, the only the uh, of the juggernauts, of the teams that have been number one this season, the only one that didn't really slip up in week six, and that's the Miami Dolphins. Yes, I know. I can hear you rolling your eyes. They lost by 28 just a couple weeks ago, but look around at what happened at the top of the NFL this week. The Niners and Eagles lose. The Bills Struggle doesn't do it justice. The Chiefs play a really ugly game on Thursday night football. Who better than the Dolphins? Their one loss of the season's on the road at a fellow Super Bowl contender in Buffalo. Their offense is silly. They're averaging 37 points a game. Video game numbers. Yeah, this is this is my favorite stat going around right now. Second team in NFL history with 15 rushing touchdowns and 15 receiving touchdowns through their first six games. How about this one? And that's that's the fun thing about the Dolphins is you can do these ridiculous stats all day. That's what they're doing on offense. Raheem Mostert has 11 total touchdowns, which is the most in the league this season. Nine rushing, two receiving. The last running back, no, excuse me, the last player with more touchdowns than this in his first six game, that would be Sean Alexander in 2005. That's when he won the MVP. Raheem Mostert was sharing a backfield with Devon Achan before he got hurt. Like Raheem Mostert, all due respect to him, isn't even the like 
number one or number two guy you think of when you think of the Dolphins. That's what this team is doing. And oh, by the way, like we talked about earlier in the show, their defense is just projecting to get healthier and healthier. Not even sure they've peaked. Based on the way last week went, maybe they won't hold that spot for long. They do have the Eagles next week, but they are more than a deserving number one coming out of week six. I feel really good about it. That does it for the show. We are on to week seven. We've got so much fun stuff planned for the show this week, y'all. I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to some of the conversations we're going to have. If you want to hear them, make sure you go find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm going to keep saying this stuff until everybody does it. So just help me out. Maybe leave a review. Give us five stars or whatever. You, you know, if you say, you know, the host, it's a great show, but the host talks too much. I get it, but just leave us a nice review. Say something cool. I appreciate it. We're on, we're on to week seven. We'll be back. I'll catch you all next time. Thanks so much.